Hi, my name is John Sheff. I'm the Director of Public Industry Affairs here at Danfoss, and I'm joined by our resident refrigerant expert, Dean Groff. Uh, Dean, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, yes, I'm Dean Groff, and I'm the um, Service Contractors Manager here at Danfoss. And today, uh, we're going to have a, a little conversation about flammable refrigerants, how we got here, and where we're going with them. So, Dean, why don't we jump in? Um, let's talk about these flammable refrigerants. So, Dean, tell me about how we got here from the Montreal Protocol to the current Kigali Amendment and uh, where we're going with these flammable refrigerants. So, originally on the Montreal, Montreal Protocol, it was dealing with the ozone depleting issue, right? And the fact that we were we were tearing away our ozone layer. And at the time, they had proposed a lot of the flammable refrigerants that we think of today and things that we have used in the past, right, like uh, propane. Um, but they took those off the tables because that was flammable. And people didn't want the inherent danger of the flammable refrigerants out there. Um, so then after all that was done, the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol came up, and it was really focused more on the global warming aspect, right? So these refrigerants have been around for a while. They've been around for forever, right. Um, propane has been used as a refrigerant for almost since refrigeration started. So, And we're just now in the United States, at least, understanding how to implement them safely, but they're pretty well established in the rest of the world. Yeah, so in Europe, Europe is well ahead of where the United States is as far as addressing global warming potential and refrigerants. Um, the F-gas regulations in uh, Europe are already into effect. And what the IEC did was they went ahead and approved changing the current level of A3 flammable refrigerants from 150 grams up to 500 grams. And they did a lot of research and a lot of studies into this. Since that was passed, They've now released that to the UL organizations in the U.S., ASHRAE and HRI, to use that same studies and same test data to try to increase our charge limits from 150 grams up to 500 grams. So even though these refrigerants are really well established and have a, a good safety record in, in Europe and even Asia too, uh, we're just now learning how to deal with them in the United States. And so you mentioned ASHRAE and UL. Uh, what changes have been made to those uh, codes and standards to help us? So on the air conditioning side of the world, it's being regulated by UL 60335-2-40. Those standards have been updated to include the A2L refrigerants and the A3 refrigerants with different um, formulas relating to the lower flammability limit of those refrigerants moving forward. So that's already in place. What we haven't caught up to on the refrigeration side is UL 60335-2-89. Um, that is currently in a proposal process. It's hoped that the original draft language will be implemented or put, be put forth by the end of this year and then be written into the standards by next year. It's a lot of work to do for the industry to get that done, but it's really needed in order for us to meet these implementation dates of areas like California and the other Climate Alliance states. And what kind of changes are actually being made to the, the UL standards? So the, the request to changes to the UL standards are things regarding the, the safe use of the refrigerant, uh, mitigation factors, if something were to happen, how much refrigerant you can leak into a given area and how you control that, how do you detect a leak and where leaks are needed to be detected at. So all of those are required. And again, these are, these are things that the OEMs have been working on in various parts of the world. So this is well understood. Correct. 
And uh, in terms of applications, tell me about uh, the updates to ASHRAE 15. So ASHRAE 15 has the safety code standards also associated with them. And in refrigeration, uh, they have the same limit there of 150 grams of A3 refrigerants. Um, that needs to be changed with the safety aspects of how to address that and how to safely, safely apply the flammable refrigerants. So Dean, like we talked about, ASHRAE is going out to these different states and trying to work the new standards into individual state codes. Uh, but what happens if that doesn't happen in time? So if if it doesn't happen in time and it's not written in the codes and standards and the state itself can't push it to get it implemented in time, essentially what you would have is a state regulation requiring people to use a refrigerant that legally they couldn't use from a federal level, which is an issue. It leaves a big donut hole on being able to actually implement any change. And so I could see this happening in California. Um, what are we looking at there if if this scenario plays out? So really, if it plays out, we're basically forced back to only being able to use A1 in most applications or using a natural refrigerant that isn't flammable, CO2. And in refrigeration, CO2 makes sense. But in the air conditioning space, we really don't have that option, do we? No, it's really a challenge on the air conditioning side of the world. And so the industry uh, is looking at some options there for A1s that would work. But um, that's still, I think, very, very uncertain. It, it is very uncertain whether there's A1 that can actually meet that need right now. Interesting. So, Dean, we know ASHRAE is going state to state trying to get these standards written into the codes. What is the industry doing to try to make this happen? Okay, so currently there is a Canina working group formed that is trying to push forward all of the changes required in the codes and standards to actually make this happen. And if, for those of you who don't know, Canina is a volunteer-based organization, and they're really focused on the electromechanical standards, harmonization activities in the Americas. So everybody in the Americas are working off the same page, and we don't have different standards from one country to the other. And who's involved in this working group? Is it OEMs? Is it uh, who's in it? So it's a, it's a mix of, of manufacturers, end users, um, fire marshal agencies, um, everybody that would be associated or have to touch or deal with these type of issues um, are really involved in the industry. And that seems, so that seems great, everybody getting on the same page. What, what could be the potential outcome of this working group? So if, if everybody works hard and gets it pushed through, the best outcome we could have is that they get everything implemented in the codes and standards in time that we actually meet the most aggressive states like California and have these codes and standards in place so we can use A2s, A3s, A2Ls, those sort of things. Okay, so there's still hope to get some of these uh, these standards into uh, the building codes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Not that it isn't without a challenge. It's going to take a lot of work, but it's, it's doable. But the industry is pushing towards this as a goal. Correct. And eventually, these things have to make their way into building codes. And in the United States, that means the Uniform Mechanical Code. It means the International uh, Construction Code. And uh, as of the last code cycle, neither or ASHRAE 15, uh, the addendum DNH, have not been included in these codes. So uh, what, is the, uh, what is the process now? So... If you miss the code cycle, states can go ahead and implement them on their own. They don't need to wait. Um, if you look at some states like Washington, they've already suggested that they're going to approve some of these things. Um, it's still got to be ratified into their legislation, but it's in process. So states don't have to wait for the code cycles to do it. Most of them do. And even when you get down to the municipalities, it just takes a long time to implement these things. And then getting each municipality to understand what can and can't be used is a long process. And we're seeing that now as ASHRAE is taking 
their kind of show on the road to various states, New York, California, Washington, you mentioned, to make sure that uh, their codes are updated to include these, these A2Ls uh, where we have these HFC phase downs going on. Um, now, we're talking about codes and standards and, and, and safety. What kind of training is out there for the contractors and the people and the service people who are actually going to be working with this equipment? So there, there's actually a lot more training than you would think that's out there. It's just getting everybody to understand where it's at, how to find it, and get training. Of course, at the end of the day, you want the people that are using these flammable refrigerants to understand how to use them and how to use them safely. Uh, there are a lot of organizations like ACA that are out there that are pushing training, and HRI is pushing training. But it's going to be key for the safe implementation of these refrigerants that that training take place and that the, the knowledge gets out there that all of these training things are available. And some of the areas that we see uh, training needed, it's not just in the um, in the uh, implementation or, or the installation of this equipment, right? It's transport, it's service, it's ongoing maintenance. Yes. So it, how, how do you handle the refrigerant going forward? How do you handle the flammability of it? How do the different um, fire marshals around the country understand what's inside a supermarket, per se? If all of these flammable refrigerants are in there and the building catches on fire, it has nothing to do with the refrigeration system leaking. But how do they approach it? How do they know what's in the building? All of those things have to be worked out. And I think that's a concern, right, from the fire marshals. is not necessarily the, the refrigerant or the refrigerant system causing the fire, but if the building's on fire and this refrigerant's in there, what happens then? Yes, that's been, been a concern of theirs, right? And then how do they address it? How do they know what's in there? And the HR, uh, safe, HRI Safe Transition, Safe Refrigerant Transition Task Force is working on all of these issues. They have working groups set up to deal with that. And I'm actually on the task force. So uh, the industry is um, on top of this and putting out um, mechanisms uh, for this training to happen. Correct. Yes, they are working hard to get that out there. Well, thanks, Dean, for another great discussion. I think we just kind of scratched the surface on this topic. Um, we will be digging into this issue of safety and transitioning to uh, flammable refrigerants, mildly flammable refrigerants in the future. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and Danfoss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website computer or playing device.